This amazing world that we live in, so often we forget that those of us that are 50 or older came into a different world than the people that are born today and even in the past 20 years. Priorities change when things are different. Technology, by and large, has changed so drastically that they say every 18 months everything changes and is new again. It shocks me to realize that when I entered the ministry, I had the fastest, most remarkable way to put a sermon on paper, and it was called a Wheelwriter 5 IBM typewriter. And I thought the thing was great. We've got one in the office similar to that that we could use as a doorstop now. We just use it to type addresses on the outside of envelopes when we don't feel like handwriting it. You know, things change in a lot of ways for people, and the priorities are different for young people today. But Jesus' priority went beyond the physical needs of the people in his day. He was concerned with their spiritual needs, the fact that they were fallen souls seeking for someone to lead them in the right direction. I'm intrigued sometimes when I read studies on college students, and I read one the other day that was done by Cisco Systems, and, and what they wanted to do was to determine what was valuable to the incoming freshmen in college. And one of the things they discovered was that uh, one of the amazing things was the average college student today beginning concerning texting, Facebook, Twitter, and their other uh, social media outlets, they discovered this, that when work versus Facebook or Twitter was out there, who wins? Two-thirds of the students said they're more concerned about social media than they are a career, a degree, or any way forward in life. Fifty-six percent of them said they wouldn't accept a job from a company that bans social media. And a third of them said that the, their, their freedom to use social media was more important than salary. One out of every three college students and young employees believes the Internet is more important than air, water, food, and shelter. I'd like for them to try to do without one of those last four in place of that and see what happens. The other day here in Selman, you won't be surprised by this, the light turned green, and the person in front of me never moved. I mean, never moved. I sat there, and I looked at, you know, my watch, and I waited 10, 15, 20 seconds. You know, you don't always want to honk your horn. You know, you don't know what they're doing. And then I saw the top of what she was holding. It wasn't a gun. It was her iPhone. And I sat down on the horn. I'm glad that people stay in touch. I'm glad that they talk and text and do that. I do that myself. But the reality is, if you get your priorities messed up, you can be in big trouble. And sometimes today we see that in the lives of people around us. The story that we hear about Jesus here is so powerful. Because the priority of all these people was to come and to hear him. Now, all of them did not have the same level of priority because obviously there were some people sitting up front that were there for all the wrong reasons. Pharisees had shown up, and they basically wanted to trap Jesus. I want you to notice that while the 
four friends were trying to get the, uh, the, the boy that was paralyzed in there to Jesus. It was some of those people sitting up front that were trying to trap Jesus that interfered with their getting into the house. That happens sometimes in life. But Jesus had a priority there, and he never left it. His priority was to forgive sins. Yes, he healed people, and he wanted to do that, and he looked at people's brokenness, and it broke his heart. When his friend Lazarus died, he wept, but he didn't weep as one that was sad about the death. He wept in anger because death was not supposed to be a part of humanity. It was not supposed to encompass and enshroud and take us over. It was only after the sin in the garden that it capitalized upon the lives of humans and called them to an excruciating end or cessation of life. Jesus didn't want that to happen. He never meant for that to happen. We were not supposed to die. You see, Jesus' priorities are so great, and he was concerned about that. You know, it, it was, it's, it's kind of funny that those folks were so concerned about what was going on there, but they wanted to dissect every word that Jesus said. They were real concerned about that. Somehow, that was their priority. They did not see the Messiah standing in front of them. He was there. They could touch Him. They talked with Him. What did they miss? Why were they so blind? It's amazing that Jesus heard what they thought, and He answered it. That in itself just gives me the creeps. That's like my mom used to do. We could be, my twin brother and I could be going out the door and she'd say, don't you dare cut that hole in the fence again to go over to your neighbor's house. And we'd look at each other like, how did she know that? Of course, we didn't realize that she saw that, that pair of clippers in our pocket that we'd taken out of our dad's shop. You know, we, we figured out we could cut our way through there because that's what they were doing on Mission Impossible. Hey, Peter Graves could do it, we could do it. The reality is Jesus reads our thoughts just like sometimes our mom will. And he knew what was going on with them. But in the midst of that, they did not acknowledge or recognize that he was the Messiah. In fact, they were trying to find reasons to rule him out because he didn't fit the standard that they wanted. They wanted something different, something a little more cushy that would give them the position that they felt like they had earned. After all, they had been around a while. They'd put up with a lot. They had seniority in spiritual leadership. And they thought, surely God is going to give us an important place. Surely He's going to come through our group to state who He is and let everybody know. But He didn't. He took a strange man by the name of John the Baptist, his own cousin, an awkward man who grew up out in the desert, who wore strange clothes and ate weird food and didn't behave like everybody else. And he let him be the forerunner who proclaimed that he was the Messiah. But then again, nobody listened to him because he was different. They felt like he didn't fit the mold of what they wanted. Be careful in your priorities what you make most important. If you're attracted to wealth and prestige, 
you're going to miss a lot in life because God doesn't concern himself with that a great deal. Every once in a while, he'll give somebody money. Sometimes he gives them money to, to let them bless others. Sometimes he gives them money to let them destroy themselves because that's the direction they're going. But that's not what we're to look for. We're to look for opportunities to touch lives. Priorities should dictate what we do. When someone crosses our path, whoever they are, we need to be there for them, and God will do that if we'll trust Him. But I want you to notice that these four friends had a priority also. They weren't hung up like the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders that were really frustrated with Jesus. They saw their friend, and they wanted him to be whole. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he could make a difference, and they understood that he had offered healing. And their only obstacle was this crowd of, of, of rubberneckers that just wanted to see the excitement that was going on. If you've noticed in the news lately, there have been some horrible wrecks that involve anywhere from 30 to 80 cars recently. Not in Selma, Alabama, although it could happen. This has happened in dense fog once it had frozen over. And the cars drove into the fog, and not knowing what to do, some of them slammed on their brakes. Others, not knowing what to do, sped up. And in this collection of people, disasters occurred. Sometimes people don't know what to do when a problem comes along. They become frightened and terrified. They, they lose touch with reality. They forget the most basic things that they are taught. And in a moment of crisis, disasters happen. That happens when we don't follow Christ. These young men were smart enough to know that all they needed to do was get their friend to Jesus and he would be healed. And apparently the people ahead of them didn't understand or care that they had someone that was paralyzed that needed help. A young man who did not deserve this, who needed hope. But they were creative. And I like creative people. Because creativity is our way of accomplishing great things in life. And in their creativity, they got up on the roof. And, and the thing that I've always wondered, how did they get on the roof with a fella that they were carrying? Probably the house was built into the side of a hill, and they just walked up there. And if you've ever been to, to Israel, you know what the, the houses are like and how the roofs are made. All they had to do was dig back some sod and dirt and pull back the twigs that are laid there. And I'm sure there was a showering of, of debris as they did that. And they lowered their friend down in front of Jesus. Jesus knew who he was long before he set foot near them in Capernaum. He knew that boy. He understood those friends' heart and desire for him to be healed. And Jesus looked up as he came down, and he said, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Now that could have been one of the most amazing sights, and was there. But those on the front row did not hear that or see that. They didn't come for that. They came for something else. The church I pastored in Atlanta had a very dear, sweet lady in it that used to prepare our, our worship guide. 
meticulously, but her cataracts were bad, and, and she'd get distracted, and, and sometimes there were typographical errors. And there was one very pharisaical lady in our church who always circled the mistakes with a red crayon. Not a pencil, a crayon. And she would always work her way up to lay it on the Lord's Supper table so we would see it. I told you about that Wheelwriter 5 typewriter I had. You know why I got that typewriter? I started producing the bulletins to hand them out. And I let everybody know. And I told them, I want to let you know I'm human. If there's an error on here and you note it, please let me do that because you will become the one that will do these next week. We never had one again after that. You see, the problem with those guys on the front row listening to Jesus was they had their red crayon out. That's all they were there for. They did not want to be changed. They did not want to have an encounter with the true and living God. They didn't want to, to really grow in any way. They were right where they wanted to be, in control. And Jesus not only conquered their authority, He canceled it out. When He looked at them, when they criticized what He was saying, and He says, does it really matter? And to be honest with you, what Jesus was saying was so correct because the reality is this. Before sin came into the world, which we ushered in, there was no sickness and there was no death. God looking at sin and, and, and all the, the, the attachments to it, of, of, He sees it all as one thing. So what difference does it make whether Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven or you're healed? of your paralysis. They both were the same thing because Jesus came not to selectively change the world or just to touch the elect or just to change those who followed after Him the way He specified. No. He said to whoever will call after Me, I'll change them. Call on My name. Realize you're a sinner. Accept my gift and you've got it. You see, the Pharisees wouldn't have done that. They would have required, I believe the first thing they'd required was a standard tithe before you could come to worship. And if you didn't come to worship regularly, you couldn't be saved. And if you didn't meet a certain prescribed recipe and regimen that they described, you would you be lost. But you see... God doesn't work that way for several reasons. Number one, He loves us. And you know, love seems to wipe away a lot of these issues and details. Love seems to just give generously, and that's what Jesus did. When He saw that young man, He was not, over, not only overcome by the sickness of that young man, He was overcome by the dedication of those four friends. They went out of their way. They wanted their friend to be saved. And how important was that? But I want to ask you a question lastly. And this is, this is an important question. Who are you bringing to Jesus? 
Who matters enough to you that you would take a risk? That you would do something outside the ordinary? Jesus in his ministry could have easily focused just on healing and feeding people. He could have done that. There are plenty of diseases to heal and and he could have gone about that. But the reality is once everybody died, they would have confronted damnation face to face. You see... Jesus didn't come just to heal. The healing was to draw their attention to him. Then he wanted to spiritually heal them, to give them salvation. We've got to remember and we've got to make our minds clear that that to Jesus, healing and feeding were means, not the ends of his ministry. It was a mean to get where he wanted to. And we forget about that. In Mark 2, he chose to paralyze man to make this point. In other places, it was, was people that had other ailments, even to raise one from the dead. The symptom of world pain and suffering is the underlying problem in sin today. We live in a country that's broken. It's been broken for a while, hasn't it? The reality is sin has eaten us up, and it seems like America is divided, but it's always been divided. There has always been that that system of evil called Satan, and he's always had his minions, the demons, but also those who serve him because they're blinded by sin. And our nation's divided. And we're seemingly going in the wrong direction. We've forgotten what sin is. We'll name something a sin if it doesn't touch us, but if if our friends or family or if we're participating in it, suddenly we bypass that. We excuse that. We overlook that. Dear people, please hear me. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. If you love somebody and they're actively, vigorously, publicly sinning, you can still love them and not be blind to their sin. Jesus did this so effectively. You don't shun them and ridicule them and walk away from them. You continue to love them but be that light of hope to them. Don't toss them out. It's their sin that we must conquer and defeat because within that person is someone that Jesus died for and that God loves. Learn to do that. That's the lost art of the church, to love and to not judge Judgment is coming soon enough. I was thinking yesterday about when I was a young man, and I could remember getting up on a summer morning when the dew was still on the ground. One of my responsibilities was to go out and to feed all of our our animals. And I can remember going out, and I would do that, and I would eat breakfast and all the things that would go on. And I can remember getting to 1 o'clock in the afternoon and thinking, Boy, is this day ever going to get over? Remember when you were a kid and it seemed like days were so long? Now you wake up on Monday and you look around and it's Friday. Like, where did the week go? Or you look in the mirror and you say, where did I go? 
When I entered the ministry, I would joke about people with gray hair and losing it, and I'm paying for that now. I realize now that it is a miracle that Jesus said the hairs of our head are numbered because that number's changing moment by moment for me. Every time I sneeze or the wind blows, the number changes. Age does that to us. It, it moves us down the road and we don't understand why, but the reality is we're held in the arms of one who is not influenced by time. He moves through time and, and past all obstacles to rescue us. It is said in the Old Testament that the nearest that the children of Israel ever came to God was when they walked across the dry land under the riverbed of Jordan. As they walked into the promised land, the 40 years they spent leaving Egypt. And they were closest to God because in the middle of the Jordan, they had taken, by the direction of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And it is said that they had to pass within probably 80 to 100 feet of the Ark of the Covenant. And that was being near to God. I believe this, that we are close to God all the days of our life when we give our heart to Him. But never will we be any closer than we, when we pass out of this life into the next. He comes close to us. He comforts us. He protects us. He overshadows us. He showers us with blessing. There's something that is, that, that is called dying grace that is there that, that you don't understand until you need it, and it's there when you need it. And I'm so thankful that God does that. But I know this. He will come close to you if you will reach out to those that He loves. If you will not forget them. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Let me say this to you. In bringing someone to Jesus, you must do five things that are so important. You must be truly concerned for them and care about them. Don't just do it for numbers' sake. Don't let it be a competition. Care about them. Understand that without Jesus, they're lost. Be constant in your life and model the life of Jesus to them. Many a good person has become a great person because they realize the world was watching them. Some people never change, and that's not good. That's bad, because God wants us to progressively change as we come closer to Him. Be agreeable and cooperative with others. Understand that, that as time goes by and as you lose those years moving toward the inevitable time, it's more important that you reach people with the truth. Be creative and resourceful. Find a way to reach them. Pick out that person that's the furthest from you, that seems to be cold and indifferent, and pray and, and, and ask God to give you a way to get to them. I remember my dad reaching out to a man in our neighborhood who said he didn't believe in God anymore. And Daddy told him, he says, I understand. I went through that in life when I was in war. And I remember my dad telling him, come go to church with us and afterwards we're going to go fishing. This man would rather fish than breathe. And so we would do that, all of us, the whole family. We would go and my mom would pack a lunch and we'd go straight to a lake. Forgive me those of you that think 
it's a sin to fish on Sunday. It's not. Jesus did. But we took him fishing, and I'll never forget the day we were standing on the bank, and I heard my dad explaining salvation to Mr. Frazier. And several Sundays later, I didn't know what was going on, but my dad leaned over and said something to him, and he was crying, and they walked down the aisle. Mr. Frazier was saved. Creativity matters. And fifthly, be confident. Don't try once or twice, and if it doesn't work, give up. Be confident that what God has given you is to plant seeds that are remarkable, that will bring forth fruit. That's why you're here. That gives you purpose in life. Truck driver was driving in Minneapolis, Minnesota one time, and he was young and he'd been driving for several years. He went to one of those fancy schools that taught him how to drive. And he came before the ultimate conundrum that nobody knows how to deal with. He was going up an incline and he was going under an overpass that was steel. And he read the, 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 the sign, just part of it for a moment, and it suddenly dawned on him, I think my truck is barely going to get under here. And he geared down, and he got very slow, and he came up to it, and he felt the left corner of his truck hit the bridge. He stepped on the brake, pulled the air brake, leaned up and looked, and about an inch and a half of the corner of his truck was above there on the left side, not on the right side, on the left side. And... He sat there. What to do? It was a brand new truck. He would lose his job if he destroyed it. Along came the troopers. And they were looking and they wanted to back him up, but traffic was going back for blocks. They didn't know what to do. And through the crowd came a little old bent-over man that was crippled walking up there. And he tapped one of the troopers on the shoulder. He said, sir, I don't have time for you. We've got to figure this out. He said, sir, you need to listen to me. He said, mister, go back to your car. And the old man started to turn around. And he did something remarkable. He just hit the trooper on the shoulder. And he said, if you'd shut up and listen to me, I can tell you how to fix this. He said, what do you know? He said, I drove trucks for 55 years. And he told the man, said, let some air out of your front tires there and on back on that left side. You'll go right through. And he did. It was not the experts that knew everything. It was not the ones that were supposed to protect the safety of everybody there. They knew nothing to do. It was one old seasoned veteran that understood a simple technique. They'd been around a long time, let some air out and drive under it and then fill it up again on the other side. Dear people, you've got secrets in your war chest of life that can help young folks. And they may be busy looking at their social media, talking to their friends that they think are their life, but truly, you have real life in your heart and your soul. Share with them. Make a difference. Because not only will you give to them the hope of a home in heaven, you'll give to yourself a reason for being, a purpose, a direction. And it's important for you to do, to do that. 
Because just as surely as those four friends held that bed and lowered it down through that roof and changed the life of their friend for the rest of his life, you too can change the life of someone if you are prepared to today. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you give us the grace and the passion to express your compassion to a broken world. And this world needs you. It needs hope. It needs encouragement. It needs saving. Because this world is lost and people are broken. And though they are dressed nicely, they have all the technological gadgets, they seem to have everything that life could offer. If they don't have Jesus, they're dead. They're dead forever. And Lord, I pray that we would see them that way and not let those things of this life deceive us and lead us astray. May we see their needs in a realistic way and reach out to them. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to someone today who needs a burning desire within their heart to change the lives of those round about them. For without that purpose, we will get to heaven and we will have failed in fulfilling our destiny and our purpose in this world. Lord, speak to someone this morning who in their heart of hearts know that they have a priority that must be resolved today and established. And they haven't done that. Speak to someone today that needs to come forward and say, Yes, Lord, I accept your gift of salvation. Or, Lord, speak to someone that needs to just come forward and pray and say, Lord, I need your guidance, I need your mercy, and I need your love. For tomorrow seems impossible. Father, speak to someone right now. And as we begin singing the first words of this invitation hymn, May we be prepared to follow you wherever you would lead us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.